Hey folks, Black Pills Matter Part 2, what am I talking about? So, in Part 1, which I, I just released earlier, I felt a bit overwhelmed by all of my bullet points, just all of the, I mean, each one of these bullet points could be a podcast episode in and of itself. And for the past week or so, I've been adding to this list and they're all kind of related, some more loosely, some more tightly related to this idea of black pill, which is ultimately where I want to arrive in this pair of episodes. I don't know if there's going to be a part three for this, maybe, but I wrote out some things. I tried to give it some structure, some flow, and that is what part one was. And as I listened through it, I felt like it's quick. You know, it's it's a very concise 13 minutes or so, and that's great. But, you know, in terms of not rambling on, but, you know, you probably, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard me say at some point that I hate writing. And writing, it's not that I'm a bad writer. I think I'm a pretty decent writer, but it's just I hate it. It's not fun for me, like as opposed to painting and drawing and making music and doing video editing and all the other things. Like I just enjoy getting into that flow. I do not enjoy writing. Writing to me just takes a long time and it's not fun. Just don't like it. So, but that was the approach I took for part one. And as I listened to it at the end, I was like, okay, it's okay. But I really feel like I sort of failed to set the stage for what I really want to say about this whole black pill thing and how I'm entering into this black pill mode in life and how there's sort of a, if you want to call it traditional, there's a traditional understanding of black pill. But uh, one thing I did mention in the part one was the notion of me redefining or at least attempting to redefine the term black pill. It's going to require some delicate you know, verbal measures and some trickery and some nuance and some tap dancing all around it. And in order for me to hopefully convey, for me to communicate, you know, the real essence of of what I have in my mind based on all these bullet points and these number of things I've been experiencing in the past week or two and pondering. In part one, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, I scripted it out. But now in part two, this is obviously going to be longer because I just hit record and I'm just talking. I'm looking at some of my bullet points occasionally here, but really I'm just free-flowing. I'm just speaking off the top of my head. And this is typically how I do all the introversion podcast episodes. And this is more enjoyable for me because I'm just talking. I am talking. You do not talk when I talk. You do not talk when I talk. When I talk, you do not talk. I'm just telling it like it is, as I feel in the moment, you know, no editing of, you know, like for me writing, it's just such, it's all about this editing process and eh, not phrasing it that way, not phrasing it this way, oh, maybe like this. Eh, But I'm like, to me, it's such a construction. And I don't know if that's just me or that's just how all writers feel. Like it's, you're constructing something very meticulously and deliberately versus just hitting record and talking to me, it's a much more organic experience and a different end product, really. So, but enough about part one versus part two. Let's let's get into it because there's just so much. There's so much that I want to say, and you know, like I mentioned in the first episode, I'm, I'm not. I don't want to make this a two-hour episode. In fact, 
I might do a separate episode on Midsummer, the movie, alone. I might do a, a little mini episode on Orgasm, Inc. I might do, well, I definitely want to do an episode on Love is Blind Season 3. So that might be how I do it. But I, I kind of want to lay the groundwork here for this whole black pill mindset that I'm entertaining these days. And and in, even if it doesn't fit the traditional definition of it, sort of what it means to me when I say black pill. So I really kind of want to explain that as best I can in this episode. And it's going to require more, you know, than I can accomplish in this one episode. And that's what I intend to do in the upcoming episodes, you know, and I think talking about Midsummer, talking about Orgasm, Inc., talking about even Love is Blind, season three, the Weird Al movie, in a way, it also sort of taps into this idea. So one thing I mentioned in the last episode is like, and I didn't get all into it. I will hopefully get into it a little bit later, but I just want to set it up a little bit here. I mentioned how rather than me jumping into describing Black Pill, I sort of have to explain the progression, which is basically as I see it, there is a, I don't want to call it a timeline or a spectrum, but it's basically like, this is how I see it. And feel free to disagree with me on this, but this is how I see it. I don't know if this all originated with the Matrix movie or if it was it was ever spoken of before that, but for all I know, with the Matrix movie, like that's where this all started, the whole red pill, blue pill thing, right? So I'm just going to assume you've seen The Matrix by now. If not, just stop listening to this right now. Just go watch The Matrix for crying out loud. So, but as you all know, who've seen the movie, hopefully by now, Morpheus presents Neo, who's still plugged into this Matrix, basically. He, he is unaware of reality. He thinks he is this guy, a computer programmer, Mr. Anderson, whatever, like living a life, like a normal human life, like all of us. That's what he thinks. And he, he's not aware of the truth, which is that he's in a pod, you know, with his mind and everything plugged in, and he's just being used as an energy source by the AI, evil, robotic, alien overlords, right? So that is the harsh reality, and he's not aware of it. So Morpheus presents... Neo with the opportunity, you know, at this point to make a decision. You want to take the blue pill, which is basically like you remain unaware of the truth, but you go on living this simulated existence that he's been living all along. Basically, he's in a pod, you know, being extracted, the energy and resources out of his body are being extracted by the evil overlords. But in a way, he's okay because he's not aware of that truth. Ignorance is bliss. It's a cliche, but that's really the best way to to sum it up. If you're a slave, if you're just being, you know, you're in a pod and your consciousness thinks you're living a normal human life, but the, the truth, the reality of your body is that you're in this, you're cooped up in this little pod with plugs all in you and you're being sucked of your energy and but you're not aware of that truth. So if you're not aware of it, what's really the problem, right? So in a way, this paradigm, as disturbing as it may seem, is actually a win-win. It's a weird, fucked-up win-win, 
But if you think about it, it is a sort of win-win because the human thinks it's living this life and going out to the club and nightlife and going to the party and, and hooking up and all these things because it's only happening in their mind. But as far as they perceive, it is really happening. So they're kind of okay for the most part, thinking they're living a normal human life. And then the aliens, the um, the AI overlords, they're winning because they're extracting all of this energy and resources from not just Neo, but a whole fleet, a whole crop. It's just an infinite crop of human slaves, basically. Unaware slaves who are having the energy literally sucked out of them their entire existence, and they're completely unaware of it. So the aliens, the um, the AI overlords, they're winning. And... If the human is living an exciting, good life in their mind, it's win for them too, right? So this is what I mean when I say it's a weird, fucked up, win-win situation. So yeah, back to the blue pill and the red pill. So basically, you know, you know, Morpheus gives them the option. Blue pill, you go back and you don't actually ever discover what the truth is. And you just keep on living your life in ignorance. Ignorance is bliss, so you're fine. But there's a curiosity that Neo has, and he feels like something's wrong. He doesn't know what it is, but it's just this nebulous feeling that something's not right. And there's more to life. There's more to existence. There's more to the universe than, than he is experiencing. And he doesn't know how to explain it. He, it's just a feeling. And it's because of that curiosity, it's because of that feeling, that he decides to take the red pill. And the red pill... He takes from Morpheus and the red pill, you know, I don't want to get too much into the specifics of the movie because I'm just repeating it. But when I talk, I want to talk about what the red pill and the blue pill represent in our lives, right? In the real world, assuming we are not also plugged into some kind of matrix right now, but that we are actually human beings living our existence in reality. That'd be a whole nother mind fuck if we pontificate about, are we all really alive at all? Or is this all a simulation we're in? I don't know. Um, but I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there right now. I'm just going to assume we're not in a simulation, that we're all human beings, we're alive right now and all this stuff. But what it represents, blue pill versus red pill, and this is how I see it. Other people may interpret it different ways. But as I see it in the real world, when you talk about blue pill people or blue pill behaviors versus red pill thinking, red pill behaviors, red pill mindset, is you see when Neo decides to take the red pill it's not a smooth ride from that point forward. In fact, it's a pretty rocky road, to put it mildly. And he gets confronted with the truth, and the truth is appalling to him. I didn't say it would be easy, Neo. I just said it would be the truth. Stop! He can't handle it. He, he vomits. He, he freaks out. He, he pops. He's going to pop. And um, that's just in the moment of discovering the reality of the truth after he has been red-pilled. But then there's, what about all the moments after that? What about the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year of your life? Like at that point, you're already red-pilled. So you're, you are now aware of the harsh truth. And it's like, okay, well, what are you going to do about it now? It seems to me that for most people who get red-pilled, hypothetically in the movie world, but also in real life. And for myself, this is definitely the case. Once you've been red-pilled, there is no going back to the blue pill. You know, you had your chance for ignorance is bliss while you were in the blue pill mode. 
But once you enter into the red pill and you see the world for what it is, when you see the code behind the, not even seeing the code behind the matrix, but just being aware that there is the such thing as the matrix, right? That there is all of these principles, and I'll get into that later, sort of about the world and how personally I would describe my red pill experience over the years. It wasn't just a one-time moment. It was a series of things. But um, the point is, I can't go back, and most people can't go back. Like, you can't convince yourself, like, okay, I know it's untrue, but I'm going to live that way anyways. You know, like, in the movie, Cypher, he betrays the good guys, you know, and he tries to meet up with the evil agent. And he's like, I want to be plugged back in the matrix. And he wants to have his memory wiped and he wants to be rich and an actor or somebody powerful and whatever, and just live this pleasurable existence. Even though he, the real him knows he would just be uh, plugged into a pod and used as a battery for, you know, energy for the AI overlords, but he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He would choose to live in this fantasy existence. As long as, I mean, there's a key point there, though. I don't want to just gloss over this. But he he says, like, yeah, you got to clean, you got to wipe his memory, though, because he doesn't want to know. He doesn't want to know a goddamn thing. And that's one thing, okay, in this fictional movie world, for that to even be possible. But in the real world, I'm talking about you and I, like our real lives out there in the world. We can't do that. You can't do that. We can't just wipe our memories, wipe our brains. I mean, I guess you could do like a full frontal lobotomy or whatever they do, you know, and just make yourself brain dead. But it's not going to be like it is in the movies where he, you know, it's, you know what I mean? Like there's this clear separation here between the fiction and the reality, the movie and real life. So as I see it, I think it's virtually impossible once you've been red pilled to go back to the blue pill. It's too late. But having said that, when they talk about freeing Neo in the movie, they kind of have some debate about it's too late. And they talk about how it's too late to free somebody after they've been plugged into the Matrix for so long or a certain period of time. And they still free him anyways because they think he's the one, which I guess he turns out to be the one after all. But... To this idea of, of being blue-pilled or, or sort of being in this ignorance is bliss sort of mindset, whatever you want to call it, for so long, whether you're 10 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old, what I'm kind of getting at here is a term that it might just be sort of in the MGTOW manosphere that I've heard. I don't know how ubiquitous this is, but the term is purple pill. And what purple pill means is... And I could be wrong about this, but this is how I've understood it to be. If I'm wrong, somebody correct, correct me. So purple pill, as I understand it, is basically you were blue-pilled, you've become red-pilled, but the truth that you've been exposed to is so harsh, so uncomfortable, that it doesn't sit well. You're uneasy. I mentioned earlier the uneasiness that, that Neo felt living as a blue-pilled individual all along. Like he just felt like something's off, something's not true, something's not right. But he couldn't put his finger on it, and it just bothered him. But he just continued living his life, right, as a blue pill person. But now I'm talking about somebody who's red-pilled, but they're not happy. Let, let, let's go there. Let's talk about happiness. So 
and then you find yourself in this weird conundrum because you're aware of the truth now because you're red pilled. And even though you weren't truly fully happy in the when you were blue pilled because something just didn't seem to make sense or things just didn't seem to add up. But now once you're red pilled, you can see logically why things didn't add up. You know, it's almost like and how I look back at my life after becoming red pilled. Uh, again, I still haven't gotten into the specifics of what that means for me. Maybe I will get there in this episode, maybe not. But my red pill experience was basically being able to learn all this knowledge of the truth. And I'm talking everything. I'm talking government, religion, female nature, dating, relationships, just like money, just everything, right? All the conspiracy stuff and things that are more commonly known, but all of it together in various phases that I went through. I'm like, okay, so I see things for what they are now. But this is a lot of bad news for society and for me personally. And so it's a strange thing to be armed with this truth, but it's almost like you've learned all the bad news about the world. Well, that sucks. Yeah, it sucks. And about being a human being. And it sucks. And this is where I see the purple pill coming in, this idea, because you start, you can't fully go back to being blue pill. You can't live a lie because you just know the truth too much. And your mind hasn't been wiped like Cypher, right? So, but you find yourself hovering between blue pill and red pill in the sense of you still fall back on your instincts. And remember now, you've probably been blue pilled for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, maybe even 50 years. So a lot of that is kind of wired into your psyche, into your body, into your habits, your patterns. So it almost comes second nature to you. Like your default MO is to be blue pilled. And all of a sudden you're armed with this knowledge of the truth, you're red pilled. But you know what I'm saying? Like, th that's, there's, that's where the conflict is. I feel the conflict within you. You know, as pure as you might want to be as a red pill guy or whatever, it's not that easy. You can't just turn off like a light switch, 30, 40, 50 years of, of programming, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, I got the truth now. I'm just going to act this other way. It doesn't work that way. You know, the brain, the neurons, the neural connections, like, these things are like physical They've been hardwired into your, your mind and your brain. and You are a part of me, and I, I am a part of you. So this is where I see, this is how I understand purple pill, which is like you're red pilled, but you still end up either acting in blue pill ways or you still have desires, the same desires you had when you were a blue pill person, Okay. So I don't want to talk too much about purple pill, even though it is a very real thing. And I think I've been in this purple pill space on and off here and there over the last couple of years. But, but I've mostly been red pilled since sort of discovering all of this. So I'm, again, this is a very explanatory. I'm late. Again, it's kind of a foundational for where I'm going with all this. And for some of you, you might already know a lot of this. For others, this might be completely brand new. I don't know where you are on the spectrum of, of knowing about this. For, for some of you, you might be thinking, what the hell am I talking about? This is all gibberish. I don't know. What are you talking about? But I'm just explaining it. I'm just explaining it as best I can. So we got blue pill, red pill, which I think people are generally familiar with those terms because of the Matrix movie. 
purple pill might be new to people, that explanation of sort of like struggling with the red pill life and leaning back on the crutch that is the blue pill life that you've known for decades, right? So I want to talk for a brief second about white pill um, before I start to transition into black pill, which is really the destination here, the subject matter for not just this episode, but what I really want to start grappling with. And that means both internally for me and, and, you know, as I make these episodes, as I talk about this stuff, is this also like a form of me journaling? This is me figuring it out for myself as well. And it helps to articulate it, get it out of my mind. For some people, it's writing, right? Like get it out on paper. But for me, it's like, I just want to speak it out into existence. And I go back and I listen to it and I'm kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I just kind of, you know, so all of this is part of the process for me. And, and this is also going to be a theme that I touch on moving forward with the whole black pill thing. It's like, why am I even saying these things, right? Am I trying to save people? Am I trying to enlighten people? Am I trying to change people's minds? Am I trying to get more people to go red pill or black pill? It's like, eh. That's not really what concerns me, though. What concerns you? Not necessarily, because, you know, that goes back on what I just said in the last episode in the part one, where I said one of my main lessons that I learned from 2020 and 2021 is I wasted so much time on Facebook with my quote unquote friends trying to convince them of everything from masks aren't effective to just wait when they come out with a jab. They're going to do a mandate on it as well. And they're going to force you to take it and they're going to lose your jobs. I said all this in 2020 before there was even a jab available in the market. You go back, listen to my earlier episodes from 2020. I was already talking about these things and it totally came to fruition. My predictions were right. So, but in 2020, I was in the thick of it with all these friends, with all these people. And I'm trying to convince them because like we all need to wake up to what's going on. We all need to fight for our freedoms, our autonomy. And that was a losing fight. These people who I thought were my friends were really just various forms of sheeple. And this leads to this whole black pill discussion, but I've become quite jaded. I think I have been becoming rather a cynical, jaded person over the years, in recent years, but also 2020 sort of, I don't want to say put me over the edge, but definitely I've what little faith I had in humanity and intelligence and integrity and curiosity discipline, facts, truth, rationality, all these things like have kind of just gone out the window. And I've seen society crumble. I've seen individuals, just people just become so unhealthy and glorify unhealthy behaviors, unhealthy mindsets, whether it's confusing little children into questioning whether they're a boy or a girl or not. Like this is just messing with kids' minds. Who the Kids aren't equipped to understand these concepts. And we're robbing them of their childhoods. You know, when I was five and seven and nine and 11 and 12, and I wasn't questioning my gender. I knew I was a boy and that's it. End of story. I was out having fun, playing video games, playing soccer, basketball with my friends, just living life. And that's go back and look like that's how everybody was living back then. You know, and it wasn't like every kid was on drugs. And I just saw this, um, this data come out that like apparently Gen Z, like ages 18 to 29, that demographic all voted like more than half, the vast majority of them voted blue in this midterm election last week. 
So they all voted Democrats. And it's funny how at least half of them all, of that demographic, is all on meds. They're all men- they all have some form of mental illness. It was like at least 40 or 50% of them. And a lot of them, they all voted Democrat. So it's like, okay, so all the mentally ill people voted blue. Okay. Which isn't to say that everybody who voted red is necessarily completely sane either. So, you know, but just throwing that out there. So where was I going with this? Yeah, I don't want to get too far off track there. So I don't even really deeply want to get in here, but I just want to mention sort of my red pill journey really, really quickly here. Because like I said, it came in phases. And I'm going to leave out some of the phases related to some of the conspiracy stuff because I don't want this to all be about conspiracy stuff. Maybe another day on a different podcast, different episode or something. But I think my big red pill moment, the first major one in my life, there's probably lesser ones along the way. Kind of awakenings to truth. Remember now, I'm defining red pill all it is. It's not Republican versus Democrat. Like This is also why I don't like the red pill, blue pill dynamic in a lot of conversations and especially political discourse because it ends up being this idea that red, red, red state, right? Red Republican, red pill, Republican. You know, it's like blue, blue pill, blue Democrat. Like, no, I don't like that because that's not really what it is at all. But it's also, and I'll, I'll kind of get to this point too, about how I've been kind of graduating from red pill and not that it's a good thing, but I've been kind of moving on. It's almost like like I was describing the purple pill. If you're red-pilled, you can sink back into blue pill thinking and you're kind of living this merged blue and red existence, which I don't think is optimal. Or in order to avoid slipping back into blue pill ways, you kind of move towards the black pill, which is what how I see myself going in recent weeks and months. Um, and I am going to kind of explain that. That's where I'm getting to with all of this. But I will say, okay, just to give some context here. So when I turned 30, I was unhappy with my life, right? So I was totally blue-pilled, doing everything by the book, everything I've been ingrained with, like religion and society and politics and God and just family and women and dating and marriage and kids and friendship, like everything like standardized that I had been raised with and absorbed for 30 years. The same way Neo felt uncomfortable, right, about his life and existence, like something's just not right. I was kind of down and out at 30, and I just felt like this is not adding up. I feel like I'm doing things by the book. I'm doing everything right. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, right? You know, as a man of God, as a man of integrity, as a Christian, a good Christian boy, you know, that kind of thing. I'm trying my best. Maybe your best isn't good enough. And I'm like, it's not working. It's not getting me where I where I wanted to be. Like I wanted to be successful and married with the kids and and have a family and successful and creative and living that great life. And on some fronts, yeah, I was having some creative success. I mean, I love what I do as a designer and animator and stuff like that. But, but the socially and the dating, like all my best friends, and I've mentioned this before I mentioned in the, um, the cups episode of filling the cups, I'd kind of tell the story there when I was 30 and how I lost my best friend and my best friend's, my guy friends, because they all just disappeared from my life. They all went and got married. And these were my quote unquote brothers and sisters in Christ. And all of that just started to feel like complete bullshit to me. The promises of Tim Keller and the Bible and Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit and all that stuff. It was just emptiness. It was just nothing. I felt left behind. I am utterly, 
alone. And I could get, I could be okay with not being married at 30 um, or not having my fiance or not having kids or whatever by then. But I at least needed to feel like I had momentum toward where I wanted to get to in life. And I felt like I had zero momentum toward that. And this is kind of, this was sort of a rock bottom of sorts for me there. And um, that's where I put everything on the table. And I started to question my relationship with my father. And then my father is truly dead. Friends and family and career and, of course, religion, God, all this stuff. So that's kind of the context. I want to fly through that now because I don't want to get too deep into that in this moment. Again, I'm trying to keep this from being a four-hour episode here. So, But that was sort of my first major red pill experience, which was ultimately to leave the church, to leave Christianity behind. And as a result, I started having more career success at that point. Not only that was the, the church decision, but I also left my job. And, uh, and I was mostly doing web design at that point. But I transitioned into being a full-time freelancer, and I was starting to do motion graphics, you know, After Effects, video editing, things like that. Um, so 2007, 2008 was very lucrative for me. I did really well. So I felt like, okay, cool. I've made some big changes. My social life improved, dating life improved, and I had some momentum. You know, I started dating people and having an active life, uh, romantic life. And that was sort of the prime, I feel like, for me in my early 30s. But again, what I was saying about red pill, blue pill, and purple pill, like, Part of the problem for me during that time was, yeah, okay, I made big changes and things were happening, which was great. Um, I left this sort of stagnant blue pill existence that was going nowhere for me. But I struggled to fully go red, and I still had a lot of my weak blue pill tendencies kind of holding me back. And at the same time, I didn't have a complete awareness yet also. like It was only like I was partially red-pilled throughout my 30s. But I carried on, let's call it like a reddish, purplish pill kind of existence in my 30s. I was definitely a lot less frustrated in my 30s, you know? Like, I think, you know, just getting girls, having that more active social life and being apart from the church and just reinventing myself, um, having more career success, like just kind of, you know, living the New York life, doing pretty well. So my 30s were good, but I, again, it takes time to process these major philosophical and spiritual shifts in your life. Like, you know, it doesn't just happen in the snap of a finger, you know? Like, a, So that was my 30s, like just transitioning, really, and figuring this out. And th- my 30s was also when I changed my name. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I legally changed my name. I, I can't even remember when it was exactly, probably around 35, 34, something like that. But it was just kind of like all these things were kind of falling into place, but it took time. And that was basically my thirties. And then all of a sudden I felt like I was plateauing in New York and I just decided to leave. And I'm glad I left when I did in 2016, because I feel like New York kind of went downhill after I left. I feel like I left at the end of the golden era, but it's one thing to leave a problematic situation or a flat lining, you know, status quo situation, but it's another thing to land on your feet in a different situation and be off and running. And that's where I stumbled. And, you know, I moved home when I left New York to Virginia with my parents there. And I was working on, this is also tough at the same time though, because I lost hearing in my right ear. And this is a whole nother episode, a whole nother story, but that happened to me in 2016. Lost all hearing with in my right ear. That was traumatic experience. 
Luckily, I recovered a lot of it back, but still, it was a big trauma, and I still have permanent tinnitus in my right ear. It's a problem. But And then also in 2016, our dog, uh, our German Shepherd, died. And between that and the hearing loss and leaving New York and turning 40 and living with my parents, it was still a lot. It was a lot of just downer, you know, just lack of momentum. And it's like, wow, these are some big steps back. And I thought maybe my ticket out of that would be working on this app, that I started. And it was like a Japanese memory learning game. I was really excited about it. And um, that that ended up being, I'm not going to get into that whole story, but it was a whole debacle. It was just like working with a developer in India, which I would advise anybody, don't ever hire and work with a developer in India or maybe a foreign country in general who they don't speak English well and they're not competent. You're better off working with somebody locally, like with you, um, where you can control the fate of the project. So, But anyway, the point is, as I turned 40, I mentioned when I turned 30, I wasn't in great shape and I kind of did an upward swing throughout my 30s. But then 40, I started to kind of slip down a little bit, started to lose all the momentum, started to question my direction in life and where I'm at, where I'm going, you know, had to figure out some of my health concerns there with the hearing loss and why that happened and things like that. But so 2017, I was kind of out of it. I was kind of down, kind of frustrated, depressed and but 2018, I kind of started to pick myself up and I'm like, okay, I can't keep living here with my parents. This is just not good. So I started looking around with my sister and we were looking at Baltimore and uh, uh, I ultimately, long story short, I moved to Philly. So I moved to Philly at the end of 2018 and uh, I was kind of like, okay, cool. Here we go again. Fresh start, new city, you know, easy access to New York City, easy access to the international airport. I can fly, I can travel, Philly's cheaper than New York, less cost of living, I'll have more, I have more space here, a nice apartment, and I can meet new people, I live in a good neighborhood. So it was kind of like, it, it made us a lot of sense, it was a good decision. And so once I got settled in a little bit, I started dating. And I, it was going pretty well at first, and I dated a couple of girls here and there, nothing serious. And then I started dating this one girl, and it got... Well, I don't want to say a little, little more serious. It got kind of serious, but like too fast, too much, too quickly. Again, even this, I'm not going to get into all the details of this story because this could be a whole nother episode of itself, which I, I've been thinking about doing an episode and just calling it my MGTOW journey. And actually, now that I'm saying that out loud, I should really cut off the details of this. But the point is, I'm not going to mention any details about that now, but I'm just going to mention this was sort of the major red pill thing for me, even... No, I don't want to say it's, I would say it was on par with waking up to leaving Christianity. It was on that level. But I think this was far more incomprehensible for people around me to understand. Um, Whereas, you know, people leave religion, people find God like all the time. People enter into religion, people leave religion. So when I did that at 31, 32, everybody knew, knew what it was, you know. Whereas this red pill awakening that I had in my early 40s as I moved to Philly, it was a, a stranger thing because I basically, Tommy Danger, who you know I was doing FMAO with and I've had on this podcast numerous times, friend of the show, Tommy Danger, uh, I had a really bad breakup with this girl that I just mentioned. And so this was kind of early 2019. And he just texted me, as I was texting him about this bad breakup I was having, he just texted me, MGTOW, M-G-T-O-W. And I was like, what the fuck is MGTOW? And he's like, look it up. 
And that's what I did. I looked it up and down the rabbit hole I went. And I found Sandman and some of these other big MGTOW YouTubers. And I'm just like, wow. My mind was blown. And the big thing about it was that I, uh, un- I began to understand female nature. I began to understand hypergamy. Perhaps first and foremost, understanding the concept of hypergamy. And again, I'm not going to get all into the details of it now because this the only purpose of me telling this now is sort of my path to how I got to Red Pill and how I how Red Pill has been sitting with me the last couple of years. That's the point of this. So point is, yeah, MGTOW discovered it, became red pilled. All of a sudden, I discovered again, it was another sort of another layer peeled off of from the eyes, blocking the eyes, and you can see clearly. And you see, I started to see like, oh, now I understand why a lot of these dating relationships and things didn't work out in the past. You know, how come I couldn't ever get with the girl that I really wanted to get with? How come I was settling for girls down here? And then it's like, oh, hypergamy. Oh, it all makes sense. So I've moved forward the last couple of years in this red pill MGTOW way. But then now, as I was getting into that mode, this pandemic hits in 2020. And of course, that takes over the narrative for my life and everybody's life for the last year and a half, two years, 2020, 2021. And like I said, I was wasting my time in 2020, in a sense, trying to red pill my friends on Facebook. And I felt like, because I was alone, I was isolated in my apartment. So I felt like, well, these are my friends, right? But these are my friends. This is the moment where you connect with your friends and you grow deeper because you're going to get each other through this thing you know, the the lockdowns and all that. And it ended up just being nothing but hardship and just like we were not on the same page. I mean, I did have my inner circle of friends who we did see eye to eye on these things and thank God for that. Not that I believe in God anymore, but, you know, thank goodness for that. But, but the vast majority of my friend network, I was like, wow, we're on the opposite sides of this thing. And I'm trying to make a case. I'm trying to convince them. And this isn't working. And I don't want to call this a next level awakening for me because in a way it was, it was another layer of discovering a harsh truth in life, which is the the things you thought you had, the friends you thought you had, the family you thought you had, the to some degree, when when it's kind of like the, I don't know what the expression is when the when the iron meets the fire or whatever you know, whatever the expression is, it's like the truth is revealed, right? When the steel meets the fire and it gets whatever. So it's like, and that's what happened, and in a way, that's what continues to happen. Except now I'm more aware of it when it happens, you know. If it doesn't work out with me and a friend or me and whoever now, I'm not shocked by it. I'm not even really disappointed by it anymore because it's so commonplace now. And because I have this clarity, I have this understanding now of who I am and what I'm all about, but I also have a better understanding of other people and how other people operate. And I'm not saying that every human being operates on the same wavelength, but I'm just saying in general, I notice these patterns I notice how people tend to think. And this is where my story, I want to start getting into talking about the movie I mentioned, Midsummer and Orgasm Inc. 
because these are things that really expose like human nature and and collectivism, you know, and the dangers of putting everyone else above yourself, you know, this whole dude, I just went to the gym a couple of days ago and this guy had on a shirt had something on the front, I forget, like live united or something. And on the back of the shirt in really big letters, we before me. And I saw it and I'm like, okay, so you're saying the collective and the good of everybody else is better than your own personal good. Okay. And you're wearing this on a shirt with really big, bold type so that everybody can see that it's everybody else is more important than him. Okay. So not like this is a huge virtue signal at all, which ultimately comes back to him and how other people perceive him. And that's what's important to him, which again, it's kind of selfish, but it's like he's denying the truth that it is selfish of him to act that way, which is kind of just sinister and two-faced, you know, it's like, you know, and this is where we get into Ayn Rand territory where I'm like, that's why I love Ayn Rand. It's because she was selfish and she didn't apologize for that. You know, I was reading one of her books a couple of years ago. I, I don't think I only read the first half of it. I haven't finished it, but it was, I believe it was called The Virtue of Selfishness. And it was a very eye-opening book because she really lays it out really well and makes the case that it is normal and healthy and natural and good for a human being to be selfish. And that meaning, like selfish has such negative connotations in our society and not just in modern times in the last five years. But I mean, even when I was a Christian, it was like a bad word. You know, this whole thing about pride, the great sin of pride, you know, and being self-centered and selfish. And it's like, it's like, oh God, it was so sinful to be that way. You always had to be giving of yourself. You always had to be sacrificing of yourself. And now that I had come out of it finally, I was like, man, that's really fucked up. Because it sets up a paradigm where there are sinister, greedy people who take advantage of the good people who are always giving of themselves, of their time, energy, and money. And there's other people who just take advantage of that. They take, take, take. Here's a callback to an episode I did, um, I think, last year in 2021. Maybe it was earlier this year. I can't remember. But I was called Give and Take. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube, I'll try to put a link in here for Give and Take. And it talks all about this. It talks about the healthy or unhealthy balance between giving and taking in relationships with people. And there should be a nice equilibrium there, but a lot of times there isn't. So anyway, I was, I was talking about the selfishness thing, this guy's shirt and all this stuff. So it's kind of like, look, and this is also kind of what's leading me to the black pill and, and this space where I'm kind of filling all these concepts out is I feel much more comfortable now with the idea of myself and taking care of myself being responsible for myself because I've never been a person who asks for help really that much. Often it's other people who ask me to do something for them. And I've been a nice guy, a blue pill guy throughout my life. So I would always help people out. I help my cousins with their logo designs. I help the church and people at church with their side projects. I helped out, um, volunteered for this organization called tap in with one of my friends. And I spent a lot of time and, throughout my adult life, like helping other people without really financial compensation for it at all. Just because people would ask me and I would help because that's what a good person would do, right? I don't want to be selfish. 
I want to be the opposite of selfish. So I give. It's wrong to take from other people, right? But obviously you can see like this is all fucked up in my head. But now I have a better understanding of these things. More, and again, I'm, it's a process. I'm continually feeling these things out and trying to find the right personal equilibrium for myself. But basically, I care first and foremost about myself. And really, that should be the case for every human being on the planet. There should be less codependence. There should be less dependence, period. You know, each human being, I mean, unless you only have like one leg or you're seriously disabled, you know, you need, you're, in a, you're confined to a wheelchair, you're blind. All of these, there are, of course, exceptions and situations where people are just handicapped and they need help. But I think for most normal people out there, they fail to claim their independence. And I myself am guilty of that. I'm not saying I'm up here above everybody else in that regard. I'm just recently figuring all this out for myself. But in order to get there, you need to really soul search, I think. I don't think a lot of this comes natural to people because I think most people are just indoctrinated with blue pill thinking from day one. And I don't care whether you're Christian or atheist or whatever, however you were raised. Everybody is raised with these certain values. And even the values of modern society in the last couple of years, they're kind of like anti-values, you know? Even that is a form of indoctrination. You know, when I see women tanking their appearance, purposefully making themselves ugly, you know, gaining weight, putting on bull rings on their nose and dyeing their hair purple and green and whatever and wearing crazy tie-dye shirts and just making themselves as unattractive as possible as if somehow that is a statement against men or against traditional beauty or whatever. And I'm like, okay, whatever, you do you, but I don't really see what you're accomplishing here because most normal straight guys, I mean, if you want to be with a straight guy, that's the thing. Maybe they don't want to be. It's like people are so obsessed with bucking the system and going against the grain that they will literally fuck themselves over and lead themselves into misery and just an awful existence. I mean, you can go ahead and put on all the weight you want and call yourself big and beautiful and be 200, 300 pounds. You can do that. And you might look at it as a big fuck you to, to straight men out there or whatever, the patriarchy or whatever. But I'm like, I don't think, you know, if, if guys are out there and they can find an attractive girl, they'll go find them and be with the attractive girl and be happy with, with or without you. So in the end, I think you're really just fucking yourself over. You know, but this is coming from me, a person who believes in personal responsibility, self-discipline, excellence, meritocracy, really. You know, like, why would I ever want to tank my own happiness or success or my body or my health or anything in order to, you know, out of spite, you know? You know, I go back to the Seinfeld episode, really? Like he wants to return the jacket or whatever for spite? Excuse me, I'd like to return this jacket. Certainly. May I ask why? For spite? <laughs> and they're like, oh, we're sorry. We can't accept the jacket return because of out of spite. That's not an appropriate reason. You know, it's a joke, but it's um, there's some truth to that, too. It's like a ridiculous reason to do something, to spite your enemies or to spite who you perceive to be your enemies. No matter, no matter how you look at it, it's just, a, just an awful idea all around, you know. 
But I see so much of this in our modern society the last few years. It's like people are so self-destructive. So as as much as I'm sitting here saying like, hey, I'm getting better at loving myself, taking care of myself, you know, doing what is in my best interests. You know, I, this is sort of my black pill. And again, I still haven't really fully articulated. I don't think I'm going to get into it in this episode, but I at least feel like this episode has been more organic and me free flowing and explaining sort of this blue pill to red pill to black pill progression. So maybe I am going to do a part three. I don't know where I just talk about the black pill thing because all of this is just getting us there. Right. So I'm throwing out so much data here. I understand it's, I'm a little bit all over the place, but if you put it all together, this, the puzzle pieces, hopefully you can kind of start to see how I've gotten here, where I'm at and where I'm going and what the black pill means to me. And before I get into the black pill, I think I'm going to save all the black pill specific stuff for the next episode, but I kind of still want to explain all these different points of getting here and how I got here before I describe me being there and what's next. So a lot of this and my decision to even do this series of episodes and, and, and go down this path was triggered a little bit by these midterm elections we had last week. Because like I mentioned in the part one, um, there was all this talk of the red wave and I thought, oh, cool. All right, we're going to have some changes. Not that Republicans are the great saviors or anything. And I could go on about Trump here. That's a whole nother thing. But I'm like, I don't know, like, I, I know some of my leftist friends, whatever, or people who are no longer my friends, they, they might have an impression of me that somehow that I'm a Trump fan or I like Trump. And I'm like, look at my record. Like, look at, you can go back and look at everything I posted on Facebook. The last two years, 2020, 2019, 2018. In fact, if you go back to 2016, because remember, I didn't, well, what do you mean remember? A lot of people don't even know this. I did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016. So I also didn't vote for Hillary Clinton either because I, I could not pull the trigger. Either. I hated both of those candidates. And, you know, the thing is, is like, but even in the 2020 election, like, look at what I was posting on Facebook. You know, I, I had one friend in particular who I can't believe we're still connected on Facebook and Instagram, but I don't know what she, she sees my posts or whatever, but like, I don't know. But I remember at one point, she was, we were getting, to, again, this was all the wasted time in 2020. What, what the fuck is the point of all of this bickering and arguing? Like, they're not going to convince me of anything. I'm not convincing them of anything. It's pointless. I did learn that lesson eventually. But uh, see, now I'd rather just talk openly and freely here where none of those people are even going to bother to listen this far anyway. So it's like out of sight, out of mind. It doesn't even matter. I can just speak here freely. And whoever's interested in continuing to hear me speak can do so. And that's that, you know, not even that everybody has to agree with me because I welcome questions, comments, email me at podcast at introversion.com. If you want, if you have comments or questions about this or leave a comment down below on the YouTube video, um, as long as you are reasonable and polite and normal, whatever, I will try to respond. So, but anyway, back to this one friend, a couple of things I want to mention is one time she was like, I was talking about why Biden was such a bad candidate. And I might have been bringing up things about his son and the corruption, the Hunter Biden laptop, and how it was covered up. And if you said anything about it, you were being banned. They literally took the New York Post article off of Twitter. I'm like, okay, this is not good. You know, information is being suppressed 
we're not being allowed to access the truth. Okay. So as I'm pointing out the flaws in Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and all these other people, that is where my focus was. Again, my track record speaks for itself. You can go back and look at my podcast episodes, look at everything I posted on Facebook. And again, I was posting anti-Trump stuff. I was making jokes about how lame it is that Trump is even running for president in 2016. You know, so, but this one friend, she kept trying to bait me into defending Trump and making the case for why Trump is such a great president or a candidate. And uh, what she didn't really get was I'm like, I'm not ever going to die on that hill. I'm not going to die on the hill of defending Trump. In general, I don't like defending other people, just in general. And certainly not somebody as incendiary, let's say, as Donald Trump. He's obviously very polarizing. He's obviously hated by many, many, many people. But my thing is like, look, if you have Trump derangement syndrome still, like there's something wrong with you. I think the much healthier response is just to be like, yeah, I don't like Trump. And you could, if you can articulate why too, beyond just a soundbite here and there, but if you can actually say, yeah, I don't like his policies and um, I don't like him as a representative of America, I don't think, fine, make your case, that's fine. But people have lost their goddamn minds about Donald Trump still to this day. And that's a problem. And that's a real turnoff for me. Like when I see girls on the dating profiles and they're like, they're just like, why is your dating profile still about Donald Trump in the year 2022? I'm like, you need to move on. You need to get a life, really. If people don't like Trump, that's fine. You know, I'm not a big fan of him. In fact, uh, the reason why I'm bringing it up now is like, I wasn't, like I mentioned in part one, I wasn't surprised by the results of the midterms. And I wasn't even hugely disappointed just because I'm like, the, you know, the Republicans are not the saving grace. To me, they're a lesser evil, but that's in terms of my personal priorities. My, my, and my personal priorities are so basic. It's literally like, just let me go to the gym down the street, please. Can I do that? And masks are useless. Don't force me to wear a mask. And don't force me to get your jab or your, the latest product from Pfizer. Don't force it on me. You know, there's no reason for it. There's no scientific or medical reason for it at all. So, and all of that's coming out now and you can speak for itself. And for, I know people who have, have these side effects and my cousin's sister-in-law and like her arms, her hands all messed up and she's lost sensation. Like, and, and I have friends now, my family and people, they're getting sick all the time now. And they still, some of them, like, they still won't actually question. They won't tie it, link it back to their jabs that they got and their boosters that they got. And I'm like, again, this is another point leading me to the black pill where I'm like, hey, you do you. You go fuck yourself up. Not my problem, not my business anymore. So what I'm kind of getting here to the black pill thing, and I'm going to sweeten it up a little bit. I know when I'm talking about it that way, it makes it sound like I'm a total asshole. I don't give a shit about anybody, but... It's not that. It's not that I don't care about people. It's just, well, anyway, I'm going to save that topic for later to get into it. But I, I want to finish this story. Um, this same girl, my friend on Facebook, challenging me to defend Trump. And I never fell into that trap. I just didn't reply to that. You know, and look at all my posts. Like, I will point out the things wrong with Biden and Harris. 
back in 2020 when I was caring about this stuff. Now I've moved on so much. I'm so blackpilled in this way that like I'm done with Facebook. I just haphazardly, sporadically use Facebook like to check a message here and there or see some funny memes or here and there or whatever. Or I'll post cute puppy dogs. That's it. But like I don't, I don't get into these arguments and debates anymore on Facebook because it's a waste of time. Absolute waste of time. Yeah, I brought that. But the same friend, the same friend, she also, during that 2020 time leading up to the election, she was like, uh, she was like, I don't understand why you can't just vote for Biden. He's a moderate. He's not one of these extreme leftists or whatever. And I'm like, again, I didn't get into the argument with her at the moment because I knew it would be a waste of time. But the reality has played out exactly with what I would have said to her then. And I would have been right if I said it to her then because this is exactly how it played out. Would she then go back and look at it and be like, oh, yeah, I see your point now. Or, oh, I'm sorry for being so harsh with you. No, she won't apologize. And she was much more harsh to me about something else completely too related to masks and all this stuff. Will I ever get an apology from her? No, never. Uh, Her or any of these people. They want amnesty. They want us to all forget about how they were wrong about everything and they got angry at us and they demonized us. They called us grandma killers and all this shit. Yeah. So I'm like, again, I'm mentioning all these things because this is all evidence. This is all what's leading me to the black pill, which I'm yet to fully explain, but that will be coming probably in the next episode, unless I do love is blind next episode, but when I, the next part of this series, let's call it that. So yeah, so she she was like, why don't I just vote for Biden? He's a moderate. And I'm like, okay, okay. So you say he's a moderate. Look at what has happened in our country now since he's become president. Appointing this uh, first transgender secretary of health dude, you know? And he's like woman of the year or whatever. He's a man, you know, like. Good afternoon. I am delighted to join you today for your 2022 National Policy Institute. And uh, all this trans this and that. And I don't know how you can look at Biden and and somehow see a competent leader that he is the one calling all the shots, that he is the one that it's all about. Oh, he's a moderate. Okay, yeah. So that's the way the policies are going to go. No, the guy is a brain dead old man who's wandering around aimlessly on the stage. can barely read the teleprompters and he, he's just a puppet. I, I don't understand how people cannot see that, you know? And, and if I have, I have time in this edit, I'll throw in some clips of him wandering around aimlessly and him flubbering his words and just speaking gibberish. And I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international effort to pressure. The guy is not there regardless of whatever he was earlier in his career. Senator Barack Obama. I mean, you got the first sort of mainstream African-American yeah. who is articulate and bright and 
and, and clean and nice-looking guy. I mean, it's, that's a storybook, man. Yeah. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my sons. So I don't want to ask, what made them do this? They must be taken off the street. Increase the penalties. Increase them. I would put the son of a gun in jail. Put them to death. He should not. I mean, he incompetent. Uh, yeah. Kamala Harris, complete airhead bozo. You know, and I've posted the clips. I'm not going to do it again this episode. But, you know, referring to North Korea, like we have an alliance with North Korea. Yes, it's a flub. It's a mistake. It's a gaffe. But like, how bad of a gaffe can you make when you're at the border of South Korea and North Korea and you get those countries mixed up? That's no small gaffe. So again, these are things that I just call out. I point out. If Mike Pence did that kind of thing, sure, I'd face plant and be like, wow, dude. That is so unprofessional. You really fucked up on that one. But, you know, he wasn't really, I mean, I'm not going to be a, I'm not a big fan of Mike Benz either, but like, I'm just, at least he was like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, even Candace, you know, I'm a fan of Candace Owens and she came out recently with a beef against Donald Trump and now they're having a tiff. And I'm like, frankly, I'm on her side about it. I think she's right about her take on Donald Trump. The is one of the greatest achievements of mankind. We would have had a 1917 Remember the Spanish flu killed perhaps 100 million people. Actually, it ended the First World War because the soldiers were so... A lot of people don't know that. The soldiers got so sick, it was a terrible thing. There was no... There would know anything. I came up with a... With three... All are very, very good. Came up with three of them in less than nine months. It was supposed to take five to 12 years. And, and yet we more saved, people have died under COVID this year, by the way, yeah, under Joe Biden than under you and more people took the this year so people are questioning how oh, no, the work but yeah. some people aren't taking the ones the ones that get very sick and go to the hospital are the ones that don't take the but it's still their choice and if you take the you're protected look the results of the never good and if you do get it it's a very minor form people aren't dying when they take the so basically everything that he said there and maybe he wasn't aware was untrue it was untrue to say that it was an effective and I understand he had some pride. He was the person that rushed this, right? But it wasn't true. And he was not listening to me try to give and present to him the sentiments of his own base. The base was feeling this way. The base was feeling like this was rushed. We don't know whether or not this works. We now know that it didn't work at all to make you immune. And why can't Trump understand that we are feeling that big pharma is taking over our country. Instead, he took an opportunity to say, but I gave you the and it's great and it's great because I gave it to you. So and then Trump is trying to poke fun and make jabs at, uh, at DeSantis. Really? Ron DeSanctimonious at 10 percent. And all of this is just contributing to me to this feeling of like, yeah, I don't have TDS like all of these leftist friends of mine. But I can calmly and rationally say like, yeah, Trump is not my guy. He was never my guy. And I wish he would just step down. I wish he would step aside and let DeSantis go, let other people go who are more competent. Again, I don't know Trump. I don't want to say anything about him personally, but I just get the sense that he might love this country. He might care about people and the good of Americans. I don't know. But what I can clearly see is he loves himself. 
And he's all about his ego. But today I have the highest poll numbers I've ever had. And it's all about Trump. Remember, I defeated ISIS 100%. It's all about him. And it's hard for me to get away from that feeling that it's all about him. And he cares more about his own ego and his own name, his own success. And I think that was exposed by Candace, actually, when she was grilling him a little bit about his shots, you know, when it was the Trump shot and how he was taking such credit for that. And uh, and Candace is like, yeah, but these shots were bad. A lot of people were hurt from these. You know, it was great for pharmaceutical profits, but a lot of people got hurt by these shots. Look at the VAERS system alone which grossly underreports all of the adverse effects. And Trump in the interview is still sitting there taking credit for like, well, we did this amazing thing, you know? We is really a great feat and blah, blah, blah. We came out with these. And I'm like, yeah, dude, you, you know, I'm just, if I ever have to vote for Trump, I do so reluctantly, but I'm like, yeah. I'll take DeSantis over Trump any day. But even DeSantis, I'm sure he's got skeletons in his closet and I'm sure he's not perfect either. But back to my point here about I'm not going to die on the hill of some politician or some celebrity or somebody who I don't know personally. It's hard enough for me to vouch for people who I even know or like personally because even they let me down. Even they disappoint me, you know? So I feel like and again, this goes back to my whole self-centeredness now and this whole black pill thing. It's like, you know what? I will defend myself. How about that? I will defend my ideas and my viewpoints, my conclusions, my opinions, all of this. I will defend that. And if you make the case against me, you do a good job with it, and you point out to me why I'm wrong about issue X or issue Y, Unlike many, many people that I encounter out there in the world today, I will listen to you, you know, especially if you come at me politely and respectfully and you make your case. I will listen and I will weigh the evidence and I will see, is what you're saying, does that line up with truth? Does that line up with reality? Does that line up with what I'm seeing with my own eyes when I look out at the world? If it does, and I see some data and some statistics behind it, I'm like, okay, all right. I'll admit, okay, I was wrong about this or that. But because I do such due diligence in in certain areas, and those tend to be the areas where I'm a little bit more outspoken and vocal about, the thing is, like, usually I'm right about these things, or at least in the ballpark of being right. I was right about most everything in 2020. You know, I was like, you guys are losing your shit over the flu. You know, this is basically a lab-concocted, special flu, and you're acting like it's the end of the world. I could understand. I was freaking out too when it first came out, March 2020, because we didn't know what the fuck we were dealing with. I get it. All we knew was the media telling us you're going to die. We see some footage of people passing out on the streets in China, and we freak out. That's understandable. But within a couple months later, we started to get some data. We started to get some understanding of this thing. You started to look at Sweden. You started to be like, oh, they're not doing any mandates or lockdowns or masks. So far, they're doing okay. If we just protect the elderly population, it looks like this thing doesn't affect kids and younger, healthier people. And then later we learned that I think it was like 80% of people who were seriously hospitalized were all overweight. So it's like, oh, okay, cool. So if you're not overweight, 
and you maintain good health normally, you'll be fine. No reason to lock down. No reason to be forced to get some mandated jabs. No reason to wear a mask. No reason to shut the schools down. None of that. I was saying all of this early on, and it's like I had to fight my friends, my so-called friends about this. And now that it's been proven years later, looking back, that I was right about all that, there's still flags on YouTube and all these platforms. Oh, disinformation, misinformation, you know. Any, let, me get, let me clarify. Anything that will detract from pharmaceutical profits, guess what? Ripe for a disinformation or misinformation label. Okay, people? Just, just, I'm just telling it like it is because that's what I do here, okay? So if you're still one of those people who's looking at misinformation labels and believing it and the fact checkers and all this shit, just get over it. You know, Elon just bought Twitter and we're literally at a point in the story where when they get their own fact checkers in place, a story will come out and on one platform, Twitter, fact checkers will say this is true. And on the same story will come out on Facebook and Facebook's fact checkers will say it's false. And the sad thing is, this has been the reality all along. The truth of that is, you, as an individual, need to decide for yourself, well, whose story am I going to go with? You know, And am I interested in the truth? As hard as it is to get there, I get it. It's hard to discover the truth because the truth is shielded from us. What we end up having is a Fox News truth and an MSNBC truth. And unfortunately, what happens is all the people who tune into Fox News, that's the truth to them. All the people who tune into MSNBC, that's the truth for them. And that's what we got. That's what we got. And I get it. I I, I don't want to just write it off as laziness, although it is a form of laziness, but I get it. People are busy. Inflation's bad. Times are tough. You got to work harder, get money. I get it. So you got, and for those of you with kids and responsibilities, obligations, like, you know, you can't spend too much of your life researching and fact-checking for yourself what is the truth behind the Hunter Biden laptop or things that don't even have an immediate relevance to your life in the moment right now. So I get it. And even me, I've started to let go of all that. I don't even bother doing in-depth research anymore because, like I mentioned in the last podcast, it doesn't matter how much research I do. It doesn't matter. I can show you the stats, the data, the facts, the sources. I can present it nicely to you with nice graphs, animated, whatever. It won't matter. Because what? Oh, 10, 20 people will see it? And maybe 8 or 14 of those people already agree with me anyways, so I'm preaching to the choir there. And maybe the few other people, they're so busy watching MSNBC, that's all they believe, and everything else is fake news, including me and anybody else. Or... It disagrees, like I said. It, it's 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 detracting from pharmaceutical profits. So then, slap a label on my thing, or shadow ban me, and whatever, and just prevent people from seeing it. No matter how you look at it, this, that, that, or that, it's like it's pointless, pointless. And that's kind of what I've learned from 2020 and 2021. I can let people like Matt Walsh, Candace Owens, you know, all these guys like. 
um, Dave Cullen, I think his name is. I forget what the name of his channel was. But there's some great, solid YouTubers out there who are creating great content and telling the story and presenting the facts. And they're great. But the thing is, the difference between them and me is a lot of them, they have a staff. They have a whole brand. They're a company behind them. And they're making money. I was not making money doing any of that. And I'm not making money doing this now either. But like I said earlier, like this is also a cathartic thing for me. This is, and again, this, this episode is just me explaining the journey of how I'm getting to the black pill. But you kind of see, I'm just thinking this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing. It's all. So when, when, I, when I tell you I'm black pilled, I'm hoping that if you really care about me as a person at all or understanding me, which let's face it, I'm still a human being. We're all human beings, introverted or not. We all want to be heard on some level. We all want to be accepted for who we are. We all want to be respected. We all want to be, we all want to connect with other people too, whether we're completely like-minded or not. You can disagree with me on this point or that. That's fine. You know, I can sit here and have a sober conversation with somebody on the left, with anybody about abortion. It's like, sure. I mean, Tommy and I on FMAO, we did a couple episodes on abortion. I'm not shy about talking about it. Let's talk about it. And I've been on both sides of pro-choice, pro-life, you know, so I'm like, yeah, let's talk about it. But like people get so butthurt and angry and emotional. And man, that's a whole nother big point I wanted to make to lead up to this whole black pill thing. Maybe I will do that in the next episode, but I really wanted to talk about this emotionality that is taken over in our society and in public discourse. Forget about facts. Forget about rationality forget about truth even what matters is how you feel and and this is just across the board and it is so fundamentally problematic no matter how you look at it like i i bring up this example of uh, somebody the other day i was mentioning this too it's like i'm starting to get better at doing things whether i feel like doing it or not and this is straight out of andrew tate's playbook you know it's like you don't want to be depressed get your ass in the gym it's as simple as that you know it's and and i've mentioned this before my uh, old bible study leader matt told me at one point i think it was him who told me at one point it's like one of the signs of a truly depressed person is like they just don't do anything like they've lost the will the energy the motivation to do anything they wake up and won't get out of bed and i've been through since of that in my life like 20 2017, like I mentioned, was a pretty rough year for me. And I was really unmotivated. Just played a lot of FIFA that year and just sat around and tried to get the app going, but it was just so frustrating with the developer. And I'm just like, I was just, I was just out of it. And I lost all motivation. Pretty useless for almost a year. And I'm just like, so I get it. I get depression, but, and I know it's different for everybody. Yeah, the, my old Bible study leader, Matt, was telling me, like, yeah, you know, so, but as long as you're doing things, as long as you're moving forward with your life, it's much less likely that you're going to sink into depression if you are busy, if you are active. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be fulfilled and truly happy, but the way I like to phrase it is sometimes I feel like I'm outrunning depression, you know? So it's almost like if I sit still, and just watch TV and watch movies and sit on the couch and just sit there. And I'm not, if I'm not producing anything, if I'm not creating anything, 
whether it's graphics design, movies, animations, or podcasting or anything, like if I'm not doing anything, creating anything, I feel like I just sink or the potential is there for me to just sink into, into depression. And, um, this goes back, ties in a little bit too with the MGTOW thing, you know, like it used to be my whole life. And for most straight, you know, standard heterosexual men, your motivation is women. Your motivation is to get a woman to get a high quality girl that you're attracted to, that you love her inside and out. She's fun and attractive and smart and funny and just, just great. Just bright, energetic, just pleasant, feminine guys want that. And that often serves as enough motivation for guys to get out of bed and do anything to get your ass in the gym, to go make more money, to get a better job, to get a promotion. It's like, get this car to dress this way. It's all to get the girl, you know, that's a fundamental motivational system built in. But when you go MGTOW, when you start looking around and women are obese here in Philly and unattractive and I'm like, ugh, that's no longer a motivating factor for me at all. So then it's like, well, what is my motivation? And again, this is more subject matter. I want to get deeper into with the whole black pill thing. I I will get there. Not today, but coming up soon. Yeah. Finding motivation. But yeah, I was mentioning about feelings. You can't just ride the wave of your feelings. I know that it goes, it's counter to everything that on which our society is running these days. It's all about feelings out there. Oh, I feel like a girl today. I'm a woman. Oh, I feel like a man today. Oh, I just saw a TikTok that Matt Walsh showed uh, today and it was this person looks like a girl on TikTok and she's like yeah she's saying I'm, I, I identify as a man and a woman and non-binary all of that and maybe something else too and it depends on the moment how she feels and I'm like wow so a couple of people might have been surprised by my transgender pin that I put on this morning I figured it's about time that I came out and talked about my gender identity I am trigender, which means like a triangle, I have three genders, male, female, and non-binary. And the difference between trigender and gender fluid is that I feel all three of these genders at the same time. All the time. It doesn't ever shift or change or where I feel one gender more strongly than the other, like gender fluid tends to be. Also, I should recognize and accept that A lot of people don't see non-binary as a third gender. They see it as something completely separate from the binary of male and female. Um, But for me, it's like a third gender. Or I guess you could call it a third identity. So how I feel gender-wise is like a man, like a woman, and as neither at the same time. I hope this clears things up, but let me know if you have any more questions. I'm happy to answer. I do have questions, actually, quite a lot. She says she's male, female, both and neither at the same time. Now, that obviously makes no sense at all. It's the definition of a logical fallacy. You cannot be something and the opposite of that thing at the same time. It's like identifying as a married bachelor. It is a self-contradiction. You know, we used to look at people like this, like schizophrenics, you know, like 
people who had some traumatic childhood experience and then they created this alter ego or these multiple alternate characters and they take over their body and they, they act like this person or that, like this guy, that girl. And that's used to be that was reserved for that realm. And now it's like, what is it? 40%, 30% dealing with these kind of issues of uh, Gen Z, you know, serious, serious problems here, people. And, um, I feel like there's no shortage of problems, but there is a shortage of solutions, which isn't to say there aren't solutions to problems. Like one of, on a personal level, I like to have this mindset when I get frustrated by things. Like I, my hot water went out. I mentioned uh, in a previous episode a couple weeks ago, and like I was at without hot water. I was without hot water for a week. It's a problem. But you call up the plumber, and they're like, "Okay, well, we won't be able to come out there till next week." Well, there's another problem. I got to live without hot water for a week. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll have to get to the gym. I'll have to force myself to get to the gym at least every other day. So, all right, more motivation to get to the gym. I get to the gym and then I shower at the gym. And I'm like, okay, that's problem solved. And then eventually the plumbers came, fixed the hot water, and then they left. And then now uh, it's making this noise. The unit is making this noise. It's slightly quieter than what it was a couple of days ago, but it's still a noticeable noise. So I called them up and they might be coming back early next week to fix the problem. But, you know, and maybe they'll fix it properly, you know, maybe. But the thing is, like, oh, also I was listening, I was re- reading the audiobook for uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Uh, that was a few weeks ago. And he made a really good point about this, which is, I'm sort of parroting it here, but it was people get it wrong when they assume that happiness means getting rid of all your problems. You know, I'm paraphrasing here, but the idea is basically happiness is not finally ridding your life of all problems. Happiness is more having better problems in your life to deal with. You know, like if you're completely dead ass broke on the street with not a penny in your pocket, no food, nothing, and you have no legs and you're crippled. And that is, that is some serious problems just to survive versus, you know, you invested a million dollars in Bitcoin and it's down 50%. Okay. So you lost whatever, what I say uh, a million. So you lost half a million dollars. That's a big problem, but that's a better problem to have than the homeless destitute guy on the street, you know? So yeah, the point that I took from that was you're always going to have problems. Accept that. That's just the nature of being alive. You're always going to have problems, but take heart. And this is what I'm also trying to preach to myself recently for a while now, not just recently, but there are solutions to just about every problem. You might not love the solution, But for this particular problem, you can find a solution and you can make up for it somewhere else maybe, right? (laughs) What just happened with me? I have a friend of 20 years, very good friend. And just over a couple text messages, we are kind of done. And it seems silly and ridiculous as to why that is. But I'm like, be that as it may, it is what it is. Am I going to sit here and moan and groan about it and be like, oh, how could I have invested all this time in a person and all of a sudden it's nothing and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, or I could just be like, okay, that happened. All right, well, moving on. 
Moving on. And I'm not even saying my reaction is good or healthy or bad or whatever. I'm just saying it is what it is, you know. But it, it goes back to sort of my priorities, right? Like I mentioned earlier, my priorities, my priorities are myself. That means my well-being, both mentally, physically, everything. Like, I want to be doing well for myself. And if somebody is a negative force in my life and they're constantly bringing me down, and even if we have history, even if I thought we had great memories and a great friendship, maybe I'm better off without that person in my life, you know? So, yeah, I'm just taking heart in that. You know, one way or another, I'm going to move forward with my own life till the day I die. You know, I'm always going to keep moving forward. And, you know, if, if a lot of things aren't going my way and I'm starting to get down, yeah, that's when things are going to get tough because it feels like I'm outrunning depression at that point. But, but I've done it before and I believe I can do it again. You know, even if things get really bad in the future, I don't know. But uh, each day has enough worry of its own, right? Not to quote Jesus here or anything. But yeah, that's a whole nother aspect of the black pill thing I want to get into is like depression and black pill and nihilism and all this stuff. But there's just so much. There's so much here. So I hopefully now I feel I feel better about this. I feel like I've set the stage a little bit better here in this part two. Obviously, it took me longer to do so, but I feel good. I've set the stage now for this whole black pill mentality. So yeah, moving forward, I'm going to get into the nuances of it and the details of it and the caveats of it, this whole black pill life and mindset, because I see it. I see it there for me. It's all kind of starting to click and make sense. And I'm, it's almost kind of like I'm fleshing out. I'm beginning to flesh out this black pill curriculum for myself, this black pill protocol for me to move forward with in terms of my decision-making processes and, and all of that, you know, my day-to-day life and, and also a sense of purpose and joy and happiness, you know, because that should be there in every human life, whether you're blue-pilled, red-pilled, or black-pilled, you know. So that's what I'm going to be feeling out for myself, sharing about the journey here on the Introversion Podcast. So yeah, I will wrap up this episode with that. Before I go, of course, uh, there's more to come in this Black Pill series. And not only that, knock on wood, but right now in the calendar, this Friday, I'll be interviewing Sagar Bhatt, um, who is the founder of the Landed app. And you might have heard me mentioning about the Landed app a couple times here um, in recent weeks, maybe months. It's a great app, it's sort of an alternative to legacy social media, I guess you could say. It's a way of connecting one-on-one with people, with strangers who are in this limited community network of people. I've had some, I don't want to say, I haven't had any bad experiences with it. I've had some good experiences with it and some non-experiences with it. I'm in a little bit of a, a dry spell the last couple of weeks with it. and I also took a week off here and there when I just didn't feel up for it. But I have a lot of thoughts about it. And... um we're going to I'm going to ask him all about the app and what his expectations were for it and why he decided to do this and then I'm also going to kind of tell him my experiences share some of my thoughts and experiences with it and sort of my hopes for the app and um my thoughts on connecting with other human beings and um 
Yeah, so that's coming up soon. So I know it's been a while since I've had any guests on the show, but that's going to be a big one. So hopefully uh, we record that this Friday, and um, hopefully I'll be posting it either over the weekend or early next week. So good stuff, good stuff coming up on the Introversion Podcast. So stay tuned um, if you are not yet subscribed. Click the subscribe button and hit the like button too because it's free and it's easy and satisfying. It's win-win. It's win-win for you. You get to you get to hit thumbs up and um, helps this video out to get more exposure. And again, you know, with the whole black pill thing, it's not like I'm out there to convert everybody in the world to be black pilled like me. It's not that. It's this isn't like an outreach thing necessarily. But I do think the ideas explored on this podcast are worth exploring. And I just want to put it out there. However, it may fall on on your ears and others. I don't know. It's just a cool thing. And I want to keep it going. And um, if you want to hear more, if you want to support the project, uh, the least you can do is just click like and hit the subscribe button. Keep the subscriber count growing. So, uh, yeah. So, youtube.com slash I am introversion, in case you were listening on Spotify or some other platform. So, um, yeah, there are video episodes on Spotify uh, and YouTube only. So if you're only listening to the audio on some other platforms, come on over to YouTube until I get banned eventually or whatever. But I don't, I don't think so. I don't think I'll get banned. Um, I feel like I'm playing within their rules. And also I've been more active on Twitter. I like Twitter. I, I think just knowing Elon's there and just having a peace of mind that I'm not going to get censored or fact-checked for every little thing that I say, it's kind of emboldened me to be creative again and expressive again. And that's really what Twitter should be, I feel like, at the end of the day. That's what it used to be when it started out. It was great. I was just saying all kinds of things and connecting with random people, and they'd like what I say, I like what they say, and just meeting new friends and just connecting. It was just great. It was great. So I really am hoping Twitter, for it to get back to that and maybe become even better. So so right now I'm most active on Twitter and YouTube, a little bit on Instagram, but... Uh, whether Twitter or Instagram, either way, uh, follow me. It's the same username on both. It's just at I am introversion on all the social medias. So, yeah, keep in touch. And uh, until next time, have a good one. I hope this has been enlightening for you. Hey, glad you're here. If you've enjoyed any aspect of today's episode... I ask that you click like on this video. And if you'd like to see more in the future, hit that big fat juicy red subscribe button and click the little bell icon next to it in order to receive a notification as soon as new episodes are posted. And if you're not actually on YouTube right now, but are watching on Spotify or listening on Apple, please leave a five-star rating. It only takes a second and it's a free way of supporting this podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, there are plenty of ways to do so. You can post a comment on this video on YouTube. You can email me at podcast at introversion.com. Or you can connect on social media. I'm fairly active on Twitter and Instagram as I am introversion. And last, but certainly not least, be sure to check out the brand new and ever-evolving introversion.com 
where in addition to the podcast episodes, I am posting all kinds of interestingness and food for thought on a nearly daily basis. So yeah, take a break from Mark Zuckerberg's watchful eye and go actually bookmark an independent website like back in the day. Before the dark times, before the empire. It's a harsh world out there, but keep calm and carry on, my friend. I will always be here at introversion.com, actively introspecting in order to live my best life and encouraging you and others to do so as well. Until next time. All done. If you survived, please come again. (laughs) 